I mean, I'm going to be 70 next year. When you're my age, you know, sucking a little blood becomes a big temptation. This is the AMC Plus interview with the Vampire Podcast, and I'm your host, Naomi Paragon, writer, comedian, and all-around vampire enthusiast. Mm, I love to say it out loud. It feels very freeing. On this podcast, we're entering the dark, twisted underworld of vampires, dissecting AMC's new adaptation of the classic Anne Rice novel, Interview with the Vampire. Today, we're going to dig into that first episode, titled In Throes of Increasing Wonder, but which I have renamed Lestat How Dare You! I'll be interviewing the interviewer himself, actor, writer, all-around king, Eric Bogosian, who plays Daniel Malloy. And we'll check in with professor of black horror, Tanana Reeve Du, who literally taught the class on Jordan Peele's Get Out. I am warning you now, we have spoilers ahead, so if you have not watched episode one, consider yourself warned. There are stories out there that need to be told. There's shit out there that's just, you know, wrong. People need to know about it. That's the job. It's not a complicated job other than how it'll mess with your life. This episode starts in 2022 with this guy, Daniel Malloy, who's an interviewer, but he's also like kind of a sad journalist who isn't really at the top of his game anymore. And he also has a shaky hand, which we will find out is Parkinson's. The whole point is Daniel is on Struggle Street. He gets a mysterious box of audio cassettes and an alluring letter from one Louis de Pont de Lac inviting him to conduct an interview. And it's like, okay, you're dramatic. So basically, Louis wants to tell the story of how he became a vampire. Sound familiar? Yes, it's the title of the program, okay? So then, we flash back to New Orleans in 1910, where Louis is a gay black Creole man working to maintain power as a business owner. As we see Louis's identity crisis and the fear that comes with his lifestyle, we then meet Lestat, a pale Frenchman with a strong jaw who offers him the chance to live a freer life for a very very steep price. Well, you know, it's the whole thing. He's becoming a vampire. Look, I can't wait any longer. It is time we get into it with my first guest, Eric Bogosian. Eric, it is so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Naomi. It's great to be here. I, it's a real pleasure. This is huge, okay? We've never met, but let me tell you, I'm from New York City. You know I know you, honey. I know you. I know of you. Okay? <laughs> I mean, considering all that you've done, you know, you can take your pick, okay? You can be in the house resting. You don't have to keep giving it to us, but you do, Eric. (laughs) And so I want to know, why did you choose to play Daniel Malloy at this time? Well, the realm I live in right now is I don't necessarily know what's coming up in my life, and then I get a phone call. But this phone call came at a funny time because literally the day before I got the phone call, I had been thinking there's one thing left on my bucket list that I haven't done, and that's play a vampire. And the next day I get a call, and they said, but you're you're not going to be playing a vampire, you're going to be playing Daniel Malloy. Now, I knew the book because I had read it when it came out, and I loved it. But my whole approach to these things are always, let me see the script. I I had scripts sent to me, and I started digging down into what this was all about. And I could see that this Daniel Malloy vibrates very close to my vibrational plane. He's in his 60s. He's a writer, and I've spent a lot of time writing. He had a moment 
and now he feels that moment maybe has passed and he's pondering his own mortality. So you ask what's motivating me. That was one part. Mm -hmm. The other part, and, and this is sincere, is that I'm a fan of Game of Thrones. And specifically, I was very interested in this Jacob Anderson guy and what he was doing on that show because you know, people watch actors and they do things like they yell and scream at each other in a scene and they go, oh, that's great acting. But every, any actor can tell you that's not the hard stuff. The hard stuff is the subtle stuff. And Jacob in Game of Thrones was, I thought, amazing. So when I heard that he was going to be the vampire, one of the vampires, I was up for that. Mm-hmm. So does that mean you have, you've been into horror and thriller and sci-fi and all that kind of genre stuff well before this role came along? Absolutely. I mean, yes. I mean, I was really into this magazine, all the Tales from the Crypt and Eerie and all these weird, creepy things. When I was a kid, I read horror stories. I loved all that stuff. I loved Edgar Allan Poe. But the uh, the vampire thing calls to me. I mean, first of all, I saw Frank Langella do Dracula on Broadway in, in the mid-70s, and that was my favorite thing I've ever seen on Broadway, and he was incredible. And I was in the last row of the balcony, and this man, he had the entire house in the palm of his hands, and it was scary, and I thought, that's the kind of shit I want to do. Uh, I want to do what this guy's doing. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's something primal about blood and fangs and living forever. There's something sexual, particularly with regards to Anne Rice. There's this sex thing kind of going on all the time there. There's a sort of a rhythm to the sucking and everything. And it's like, whoa. Uh, but of course, it speaks to us. And I, I, I think it's a really important sort of metaphor for the drive that pushes us into our lives. And also, the sort of inevitability of death and what that says about the life while we're here on earth. And so I've always found them to be, you know, I'm transfixed by vampire stuff. It's funny though, you had read the books. You're taking on something big, right? We're talking Anne Rice's blank, okay? Whenever it's someone's name blank, it's like, okay, this is a legacy. We are here for this. (laughs) Did that feel stressful? To be honest, I didn't look to the book. I look at the script that they're gonna have me do and that's where I do my work. Mm-hmm. I have to sit and focus and really think about what they're saying and what's going on here. What's going on between these people? Mm-hmm. I thought that, you know, basically I was going to come in and I would say, so, Louis, tell me about how you became a vampire. And then I'd be gone. And then there would be like Louis for an hour. And then at the end, I'd go, that's very interesting. And that would be my job. <laughs> But then when I read the script, it was like, whoa, this is way more complicated than that. There's a lot going on for Daniel Malloy. Even from the first time we see you, I mean, said, honey, the moment you go and you get that mail and that hand is shaking, I said, okay, okay, here we go. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a lot is being set up right in that moment. And especially what's going on when Daniel is meeting Louis again in Dubai and It's dangerous. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really dangerous. Daniel still has a scar on his neck from the last time he got bit by this guy. Yeah. That first time Malloy and Louie went to have an interview, things didn't go so well. Okay? Last interview went badly. Let's give a little listen to The Dark Past. 
So forgive me if I'm a little nervous. Disrespectful. I was high. You were not worthy of my story then. Maybe your story wasn't worth telling. Woo! <laughs> Woo! The past. The past. I think that Daniel, as written in the script, has said to himself, this is a chance to go back and do it right. I missed a big opportunity 40-something years ago, and now I'm going to go and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to blow everybody's mind and I'm going to get, you know, mm-hmm. another Pulitzer and I'm going to I'm going to grab that brass ring and I'm going to make a lot of money. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to be 70 next year. When you when you're my age, you are thinking about, okay, so what happens like 20 years down the line? Especially your friends are croaking and stuff. You're thinking about this stuff all the time. And so uh, being a, you know, sucking a little blood becomes a big temptation. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say that, you know, as you get older, but I also think I'm not in my 70s, honey, but after the last two and a half years, I'm thinking about the future too, right? We're all, I think, regardless of how old you are now, we have all been made to face mortality and isolation in a way that really does charge this story and in particularly the relationship between Daniel and Louie. I mean, what I think is interesting is like, because you can obviously hear uh, from Malloy, he is high. And then, of course, you say, I was high. But I find it also like, you're a journalist? You're pretty high. I don't know how much journalistic work you were doing when you were high as a kite. Yeah, I mean, I think like anybody, whatever work you make, you go back and you look at what you did a long time ago, oh, that's so amateur. Oh, I'm almost embarrassed. Uh-huh. I was so sloppy then. Mm-hmm. Because I hear that tape and everything, I'm reminded of the young me. And you're not old enough to be at this place yet, but when you get to a certain point in your life, you can go back and look at the young you and you go, that's not even me. Is that me? I'm I'm not that person anymore. I'm so different than that person. So there's a kind of a shocking feeling of like, I'm not that person, but in a way, I kind of want to be that person still, yet I remember how uncomfortable I was being that person, but I had all this energy, and I was ready to rock, like, every day. I got out of bed, and I was like, where's where's it happening? I want to go, yeah. whereas now I get out of bed, and it's like, um, where's the coffee? <laughs> <laughs> You're almost exclusively acting opposite Jacob Anderson, who plays Louis. And as he tells his story, we see Jacob in flashback as he meets and he falls in love with Lestat, played by Sam Reed. Now, how much time did you all get to get to know each other before the cameras started rolling? We didn't do a huge amount of rehearsal, or at least I don't remember us doing a huge amount of rehearsal. We did rehearse. Jacob insisted on learning, memorizing, and saying to the camera every line he says on the show. So even if it's voiceover, he's saying all that stuff to the camera and to me. So I'm sitting there listening to him and looking into his, and I'm not going to give him anything halfway. We're going all the way if we're going to do this. So I'm deep in there with him. And he like hypnotizes me. He like, he's telling me these stories and I'm looking into his eyes and I have to kind of snap out of it. To fall into another actor's eyes and really have those moments. And I, 
it, it felt like we were there. For me, it's, it's what it's all about. That's why I act. I act because I want to pretend. I like to pretend. And when I'm pretending all the way and we're going to this other place, it's like flying. It's like, it, it, it's, it's, it's not like anything else. I love it. It's my first love. I'm Daniel Malloy. It is 10.08 in the morning on June 14th, 2022. I'm in the penthouse apartment of the Al Sharaf Towers across from Mr. Louis Dupont Dulac. So, Mr. Dulac, how long have you been dead? You know, vampires, they have all these powers. They can do all these things. If you could have any vampire power, which one would it be? for you. <laughs> well, this is besides immortality you're yes, saying. Yes, yes, besides right? right. Like would you want to read minds? Yeah, would I think you... I think the mind mind reading and 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 holding somebody in your thrall through hypnosis is kind of the kind of classic Dracula stuff with those eyes and saying, you know, come to me. <laughs> come to me. <laughs> and I and I like necks. I'm a neck man, so uh, it, it all it all makes sense. Yeah. Okay, you heard it here first, folks. Eric Bogosian neck man is what he said to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's so funny to me that you would say holding people in your thrall because as someone who, you know, did a lot of solo shows, that was what you were doing. Well, I started acting when I was a kid, when I was in high school, and the connection between myself and the audience is, it's a fantastic feeling. I feel like I'm fully alive when I'm acting, more so than even in my day-to-day -day life. There's no second guessing, there's just be the guy that you are. And then if you can connect, which eventually I found a way to do on film and TV, it's, it's, it's intense. You know, the vibing with other actors, especially generous actors, talented, smart, generous actors like Jacob, that's, uh, it's, it, we're just so lucky, very lucky. Yeah, and we, the audience, are so very lucky too. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me, telling me all things Malloy. You are wonderful, and oh, this show is so good, and you guys are in for more and more good stuff this season. Thank you for the embrace, Naomi. Whew, there was so much to unpack from that interview. I mean, first of all, we got a masterclass in acting from Eric Bogosian, but also, I am worried about the character of Daniel Malloy. He is a sad man, okay? And I don't think hanging out with Louis is going to make him any happier, so <laughs> Daniel's in for a long, hard road. We got to shake that off because we got more to do today. I've got questions about these vampires and we have horror expert Tanana Reeve do to help us out. We're going to get into it right after a little snack break or pee break, whatever you need. I don't judge. In Daniel Malloy's first ever online class, the man hailed as, quote, the voice of his and perhaps every generation will break down his journalistic philosophy, identify key interviewing do's and don'ts, and offer his candid assessment of the current state of an industry that has both nourished and battered him for over a 50-year career. I've been fired from three papers, hired back at two of them, third got gobbled up by Nate Ritter. So to be clear here, I'm a goddamn reservoir of do's and don'ts. His breadth of knowledge coupled with his no-nonsense style and iconic way with words make Daniel Malloy's practicum a must. Visit www.practicumlaude.net to start the course. That's www.practicumlaude.net. 
www.thepodcast.net. You still want this job? It's your money. I'm Daniel Malloy. Y'all, I am here with a horror expert, okay? Tanana Reed. Hey. How you doing? Very excited to be having this conversation. Me too. Now, would you mind introducing yourself to the people who don't know? Because if they don't know, they better get up to speed. Okay, my name is Tanana Reevedu. I've been publishing Black Horror since 1995. I teach Black Horror and Afrofuturism at UCLA, and I'm an executive producer of Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror on Shudder. Okay, first hard-hitting question. If you were a vampire, what would your favorite ability be? Mm, okay. Well, I'm going to have to go somewhat grudgingly with the immortality and I say grudgingly because I wrote a whole book series about immortals, basically trying to convince myself that's not the way to go. <laughs> but let's just face it. Fear of death is huge. There are a lot of downsides to immortality if you can't bring people with you. But you kind of can when you're a vampire. So that's actually not a downside. The immortality faux show. Okay. Okay. That is so interesting because me, I would probably go with mind reading because oh. I don't want to be around too long. Like I would maybe do a century just so I could see. <laughs> oh. But I don't want to be here for all this. <laughs> I don't want to be here for all this. No, I see your point. It's a good point. <laughs> okay. You know, you have written the books, okay? Plural on Black Horror. Now, how would you say Interview with the Vampire so far? How does that stack up? Would you define it as Black horror? I would, actually. And it's interesting to say that because obviously when Anne Rice wrote Interview with the Vampire, she did not consider it Black horror because yeah. uh, Louis was not Black. Claudia was not Black. But Black horror, let me just explain, is more than just mix and match with the casting. Mm -hmm. Black horror is a story that centers a Black protagonist, I would say Czech, and also, mm -hmm. he's not in isolation in his blackness in the story. He got a mama. He got a sister. He's got a brother. We see him at home. You know, how many times do you see black characters where you never follow them home? Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. never meet their family. They're just this isolated black casting choice <laughs> that has nothing to do with the fabric of the story. And I love the way this new interview with the Vampire series actually weaves in Blackness, meaning it's an authentic experience. There's discrimination. There's racism. There's jazz. There's Scott Joplin music playing. I love Scott Joplin. <laughs> there's jumping the broom. And, and I mean, just seeing Black folks living their lives, that mm -hmm. to me does make this Black horror. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the extent to which, too, Louis' Blackness, you know, it does drive story. Yes. You know, it's not just like he has a personal life, but like his experience as a Black man leads him to make choices that move our story in different in a different direction. You're absolutely right about that, and well put. Are you a vampire fan? When we talk about our monsters, where are vampires for you on the spectrum? You know, I'm all in with horror. So for me, it's like, who scares me the most? And I have to admit that vampires are not my number one fear. Because mm -hmm. I think when vampire movies first started in cinema, they were like sort of... And, and still, really, they're sort of about, uh, in some ways, feminine sexuality and succumbing to desire when you don't want to succumb because it's morally wrong. And mm -hmm. so you, you blow that up 
to like the biggest possible form. And it's like, do you let yourself be seduced by a monster, not just your libido, but someone who's going to fundamentally either change who you are or kill you? And those are the stakes, right? Mm -hmm. And that was not my thing, you know, that fear of my own sexuality. The And frankly, a lot of cinematic vampires were just not that sexy to me. So if, <laughs> if, you, if you're not seeing the sexy... There's no conflict. It's like, ew. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know You're mean? like, it's like, don't even get close to my neck. I don't want you anywhere near me. Right? Yeah. But uh, what broke that for me, like my favorite vampire project, I would say before this, was Fright Night. Oh. Because I thought Chris Sarandon's vampire was super hot and also super scary. And that is a very hard line to walk. And I feel like the series also captures that. Not, you know, Louis is the sympathetic one, so I'm not afraid of Louis, but Lestat, woo! He's got the sexy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Not usually my type, but I have to say, (laughs) he pulls it off. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got the sexy, but by the end of that pilot, you're like, whoa, monster, monster, (laughs) abort, back away. It's it's so true. It's very true. It is interesting because I also felt that same way with Lestat because normally I'm not here for an Aryan moment. But <laughs> right. you know what it is? I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it is with Lestat. It's that jaw. It's that powerful jaw. And also too, like both him and Louis, but like they dress so well. They are impeccably dressed. They are. Like that does a lot. And I think all men listening, y'all need to realize if you could just put on something tailored, <laughs> it would change your whole life. Okay. <laughs> We, we talked a little, obviously, about the role that race plays in this iteration of Interview with a Vampire. Specifically, though, what do you think we gain from this being an interracial relationship? Yes, that is such a great question. And it plays so well. You know, sometimes when people change the race, it creates problems. And I think in this case, it actually just sharpens the theme, especially the power differential, between Louis and Lestat, because they already had a power differential when you take out race. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lestat is much older. He can do things that Louis can't do. He's Mm -hmm. just more advanced. He's had more time to practice and work at it. And Louis is just sort of a babe in the woods. But when you add race to that power differential, it's got a whole different connotation every time they're together in public. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like in New York when you have to ask like a white friend or relative to catch your cab for you. (laughs) (laughs) And then you do that bait and switch. Oh my God, I do that all the time with my husband. I used to, I'm from New York, and I'd be like, Andy, put up that milky hand. That's what I'd tell him. I'd say, put up your milky hand to get us, because it would be like late at night, and I was like, I don't have time for this. Would you please go out there and get get us this taxi cab? That's a huge advantage to your situation. But at the turn of the century, New Orleans especially, I mean, despite, you know, that was always a very mixed city, and there were... Black and and biracial people and Creoles who were able to get some power. Mm -hmm. But still, you can see even in the series, there are limits to it. And there are expectations that white supremacy has. So having that huge power differential in such a visual way really helps, I think, this this story leap out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would like us to listen to this clip that I think really encapsulates both Louis standing as a black man at that time, as well as what Lestat brings to the table even before they start their relationship. Let's have a listen. These men look down on you. I have to say, I find it appalling how men like yourself are treated in this country of yours. 10%. 15%. 
Do you not know your value? Do you suffer these indignities for some larger purpose? Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, it's like he was in my head <laughs> talking to me. I know. But here's a question. Do you think that Lestat really does want Louis to step into his power? I think that was seduction because I felt seduced by that clip, yeah. right? Like, again, he's not my type. I'm not even into vampires. But just imagine you are a Black man in turn-of-the-century New Orleans, and this very white man okay, uh-huh. yep. Yep. <laughs> is is seeing you. or is pre- not, I'm not even going to say he's pretending to. He does. He sees, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Lestat may have a lot of other issues, but I don't think he's a racist. I think he's too old and, and he's been through too much and seen too much to think that there are huge differences between humans, most of whom are just food to him. Right. So what's the point in discriminating, <laughs> you know, against people based on their skin color? So, but he can see that Louis has talent Louis is gorgeous. Uh, he's intelligent and, and like you said, so stylish. So he's probably telling the truth, but he's using the truth in sort of a laser-targeted way to seduce him. I mean, if he really thinks he loves Louis, sure, he would want him to step into his power, but to a point. Mm-hmm. He would never want to compete with Louis for power. He sees them as being so far apart that what does it hurt him to help Louis get a little extra percentage in his business? You know, coming coming off of, you know, this, there was a threesome yes. in this. Okay, and I said, I'm sorry, what channel am I watching? Is this legal? <laughs> I was not ready. There's all kinds of, there are things I've never seen before in this show. It's like, whoa, okay. I thought I had seen it all, but I have not seen that particular sexual act where you're floating. (laughs) (laughs) But it was crazy because it's interesting. It felt like, aside from being, you know, hot, it felt like a big deal for them to have that threesome in that the tension was not in, are we going to do this? Is this okay? Like, you know what I mean, Louis? Like, it wasn't about shame around sex. And that is almost what felt like a big deal to me. Right. And also, I felt like having a woman in that scene was a buffer, right? I mean, even though Louis didn't need much of a buffer, uh, Louis had always been repressing mm-hmm. his his attraction to men and probably didn't need that woman in a threesome, but... Visually, and I also think at that point of where Louis was emotionally, it was that perfect way to kind of segue into, oh, yeah, this is more than just a friendship because, you know, we're we're taking this to another level and yet another level after that. I really think, you know, the the queerness of it all is so interesting. And that's something that I, I'm sure Anne Rice would, would deeply approve of is, is making that more central mm-hmm. to the story. Because she liked to push it, those those boundaries in, in her work. How prevalent in horror is queerness? Well, a lot of queerness has been excluded explicitly in horror. But then there's oh. the implicit queerness. There's coded queerness that queer people would see and recognize that straight people don't. And in that respect, yes, I would say there is a lot of queerness that's been encoded in horror. And also Blackness mm-hmm. had served a similar purpose, although oddly enough, I would say there have been way more Black characters 
in mainstream horror than queer characters, but they were treated badly. You know, they had all these terrible tropes, first to die, mm-hmm. sacrificial Negro, magical Negro. So we were never used appropriately a lot of the time. Um, whereas if you were queer, you were just invisible. And I really think, I don't have the statistics in front of me and I don't want to make broad general statements, but I know that Black horror fans really over-index when it comes to how much we love horror. And I think part of that is that so many people are attracted to horror because of their experiences with trauma. Okay. And that was my mother's experience. She had all kinds of trauma as a civil rights activist, mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. loved horror. And I think for a lot of us who've come from trauma or trauma-adjacent, in the case of my mom, it's that you can look at a screen and see a monster as a stand-in for that cop who threw that tear gas in your face Mm -hmm. or for all the pain you've been going through or for that abusive parent, right? And it's healing to see that that trauma validated in a way that doesn't re-traumatize you because it's not the thing itself. And there are a lot of us who have learned to take joy in that. It's It's like, I don't know, sometimes you can kill that monster or at the very least, you can learn what not to do, right? Mm-hmm. I think that I, for a lot of us, the survival lessons in horror feel very relevant. It's not just entertainment. It's like, we're almost like taking notes. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. I think what I love about horror is basically it is a world like our own where the evil is... Um, easy to see. Because I believe the world is scary, fundamentally. Oh, yes, these things are bad, and you're afraid to walk into certain spaces and do things. I'm like, finally, someone who gets it. Absolutely, the world is scary. The New York Times, I think, published a study during the pandemic that people who loved horror just did better. We were all like, well, yeah, I told you. In some respects, it's not a shock. Yeah, it's not a shock when things fall apart. In some ways, Horror fans are always waiting for things to fall apart. Ain't no fever out there. That's you. You bringing the death to town. I give death to those deserving. I'm not the devil. You were wrong about that. But I can't give you death. How did you feel about the ending of episode one? That ending in the church. We knew it was coming. We knew but... I didn't know. That was one of my favorite scenes, actually, in the whole series, not just in the episode, because that was the moment of revelation. I mean, Lestat, he's a little shady and he's willing to, you know, say whatever and do whatever to get what he wants. But, oh, my God, I love the way they really let it become so violent. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because that is my nitpick with a lot of prestige horror is that it's more about the ideas sometimes than it is about leaning into scaring the audience. And for me, if horror isn't scary, it's just not, you know, it's just not horror. And it's not just throwing it in randomly. It's like, oh, let's throw in this gore. It's revelatory of the character. This is this guy. This is who Lestat really is. This is what he's about. So you can either run toward that or away from that. (laughs) And, uh, And, you know... Louis did what he did, you know? Yeah. Now, considering you are a horror expert, my final question, again, because I'm a hard-hitting journalist, if the opportunity arose, would you interview a vampire? Oh, hell yeah, I would interview a vampire. I mean, with some restrictions, 
Okay, I, you know, I think this journalist in the series was taking some some real chances <laughs> with this interview. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I don't know, I, I would have wanted some more protections and and some agreements. And I'm not that you, they like what, like what would you have do? What would you have said? You know what I mean? Like, would you be like, uh, uh-uh, uh, we're meeting on my turf? Yes, with several witnesses. Yes. All that. Um, some legal language about you not biting or killing me or feeding from me in any way or influ- I mean, I don't know. I love that you think legal legal language would stop what a vampire. You're have? like, we have a contract. Well, maybe. I don't know. What else do we have, though? I don't want you in my <laughs> memories. That is off limit. I don't know how you set boundaries, but I would work really hard to figure out a way because what a scoop, what a story. But the journalist in me could not turn that story down. Uh, Professor Du, thank you so much for talking to me about all things Interview with the Vampire and Horror. I so appreciate you taking the time. Oh my God, this has been so much fun. Whew, okay, we got the expert opinion. And the expert opinion is, even if you are not a vampire addict like myself, this show's got you. You're hooked. You want to know why? Because everybody fine. Everybody's scary, and they're fine. And that's the whole vibe, and that's why I watch. Okay? I'm not afraid to say it. Now, before we go, I want to share a little Easter egg with you. In this episode, Louis gives his sister Grace tickets for the Black Star Line, which was a real shipping line in the early 1900s started by Marcus Garvey. It was a shipping-slash-passenger line between Africa and the Americas, and it was Black-owned, Black-staffed, and for Black patrons. Honestly, I want to get on that ship now. I could use that. Take me somewhere, because <laughs> things are not right in America at the moment. Next week, we will be talking to actor Sam Reed, who plays the monster Lestat himself, and our expert, Jewel Gomez, author of The Gilda Stories, a queer vampire tale. Mm-mm-mm, cannot wait. As I always say, we want to hear from you. I want your questions. I want your reactions to the apps. So please call in with your thoughts and burning vampire questions at 888-788-VAMP. Mm-hmm. That's 888-788-8267. Your message might even be included right here in a future episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening to the AMC Plus Interview with the Vampire podcast. Watch new episodes of Interview with the Vampire every Sunday night on AMC or stream it early on AMC+. Podcast episodes drop the same day. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. For an extended 30-day free trial of AMC+, go to amcplus.com and use promo code INTERVIEWPOD. That's interview P-O-D. This is an AMC Networks podcast produced in partnership with Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers at AMC Networks are Kevin Dreyfus, Celia Quinette, and Brian Swarth. Our executive producers at Pineapple are Gabrielle Lewis, Barry Finkel, Max Linsky, and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our managing producer is Bria Mariette. Our producers are Ben Goldberg and Aaron Kelly. Our associate producer is Natalie Paird. Darby Maloney is our editor. Mixing and engineering by Hannes Brown. Thank you again to Eric Bogosian and to Nana Reeve Du for joining us. And I am Naomi Akparagin. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of AMC Networks and its employees.